Section 39 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cathy Barrett. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 33. Charles the Ninth and the Religious Wars, fifteen sixty to fifteen seventy four, part five. The Prince of Conde, with Admiral de Coligny for second, commanded the Protestant army. We make no pretension to explain and discuss here the military movements of that day, and the merits or demerits of the two generals confronted. The Duke of Aumel has given an account of them, and criticized them in his Histoire des Princes de Conde, with a complete knowledge of the facts, and with the authority that belongs to him. Quote, the encounter on the 13th of March, 1569, scarcely deserves, he says, to be called a battle. It was nothing but a series of fights, maintained by troops separated and surprised, against an enemy which more numerous to begin with, was attacking with its whole force united. End quote. A tragic incident at the same time gave this encounter an importance which it has preserved in history. Admiral de Coligny, forced to make a retrograde movement, had sent to ask the Prince of Conde for aid. By a second message he urged the Prince not to make a fruitless effort, and to fall back himself in all haste. Quote, God forbid, answered Conde, that Louis de Bourbon should turn his back to the enemy. End quote. And he continued his march, saying to his brother-in-law, Francis de la Rochefoucauld, who was marching beside him, quote, My uncle has made a clerical error, pas de clerc, a slip, but the wine is drawn, and it must be drunk. End quote. On arriving at battlefield, whither he had brought with him but three hundred horse, at the very moment when with this weak escort he was preparing to charge the deep column of the Duke of Anjou, he received from la Rochefoucauld's horse a kick which broke one of the bones of his leg and he had already crushed an arm by a fall. We will borrow from the Duke of Aumale the glorious and piteous tale of this incident. Quote, Conde turned round to his men-at-arms, and showing first his injured limbs, and then the device, Sweet is danger for Christ and for fatherland, which fluttered upon his banner in the breeze. Nobles of France, he cried, this is the desired moment. Remember in what plight Louis de Bourbon enters the battle for Christ and fatherland. Then, lowering his head, he charges with his three hundred horse upon the eight hundred lances of the Duke of Anjou. The first shock of this charge was irresistible. Such for a moment was the disorder among the Catholics, that many of them believed the day was lost. But fresh bodies of royalists arrive one after another. The prince has his horse killed under him, and in the midst of the confusion, hampered by his wounds, he cannot mount another. In spite of all, his brave comrades do not desert him. Soubise, and a dozen of them, covered with wounds, are taken. An old man, named Lavergne, who had brought with him twenty-five sons or nephews, is left upon the field with fifteen of them, all in a heap, says Daubigne. Left almost alone, with his back against a tree, one knee upon the ground, and deprived of the use of one leg, Conde still defends himself, but his strength is failing him he sees two catholic gentlemen to whom he had rendered service st jean and d'argence he calls to them raises the visor of his helmet and holds out to them his gauntlets the two horsemen dismount and swear to risk their lives to save his others join them and are eager to assist the glorious captive meanwhile the royal cavalry continues the pursuit the squadrons successively pass close by the group which has formed round conde 
Soon he spies the red cloaks of the Duke of Anjou's guards. He points to them with his finger. D'Argence understands him, and, Hide your face, he cries. Ah, D'Argence, D'Argence, you will not save me, replies the prince. Then, like Caesar, covering up his face, he awaited death. The poor soul knew only too well the perfidious character of the Duke of Anjou, the hatred with which he was hunting him down, and the sanguinary orders he would give. The guards had gone by when their captain, Montesquion, learned the name of this prisoner. Quote, slay, slay, Mordieu, he shouted, then suddenly wheeling his horse round, he returns at a gallop, and with a pistol-shot fired from behind, shatters the hero's skull. End quote. The death of Conde gave to the battle of Jarnac an importance not its own. A popular ditty of the day called that prince, quote, the great enemy of the mass, end quote. Quote, his end, says the Duke of Aumale, was celebrated by the Catholics as a deliverance. A solemn te deum was chanted at court and in all the churches of France. The flags taken were sent to Rome, where Pope Pius IV went with them in state to St. Peter's. As for the Duke of Anjou, he showed his joy and his baseness together with the ignoble treatment he caused to be inflicted upon the remains of his vanquished relative, a prince of the blood who had fallen sword in hand. At the first rumour of Conde's death, the Duke of Montpensier's secretary, Coustureau, had been dispatched from headquarters with Baron de Magnac to learn the truth of the matter. Quote, we found him there, he relates, laid upon an ass. The said Sir Baron took him by the hair of the head for to lift up his face, which he had turned towards the ground, and asked me if I recognized him. But as he had lost an eye from his head, he was mightily disfigured, and I could say no more than it was certainly his figure and his hair, and further than that I was unable to speak. Meanwhile, continues the Duke of Aumale, the accounts of those present removed all doubt, and the corpse, thus thrown across an ass, with arms and legs dangling, was carried to Jarnac, where the Duke of Anjou lodged on the evening of the battle. There the body of Conde was taken down, amidst the sobs of some Protestant prisoners, who kissed as they wept the remains of their gallant chief. This touching spectacle did not stop the coarse ribaldry of the Duke of Anjou and his favourites, and for two days the prince's remains were left in a ground-floor room, there exposed to the injurious action of the air and to the gross insults of the courtiers. The Duke of Anjou at last consented to give up the body of Conde to the Duke of Longueville, his brother-in-law, who had it interred with due respect at Vendôme in the burial-place of his ancestors." When in 1569 he thus testified, from a mixture of hatred and fear, an ignoble joy at the death of Louis de Conde, the valiant chief of Protestantism, the Duke of Anjou did not foresee that, nearly twenty years later, in 1588, when he had become Henry III, King of France, he would also testify, still from a mixture of hatred and fear, the same ignoble joy at sight of the corpse of Henri de Guise, the valiant chief of Catholicism, murdered by his order and in his palace. As soon as Conde's death was known at La Rochelle, the Queen of Navarre, Jeanne d'Albret, hurried to tonnay Charente, whither the Protestant army had fallen back. She took with her her own son Henry, fifteen years old, and Henri de Bourbon, the late Prince of Conde's son, who was seventeen, and she presented both of them to the army. The younger, the future Henry IV, stepped forward briskly. Quote, "'Your cause,' said he, "'is mine. Your interests are mine. I swear on my soul.' honour and life to be wholly yours. End quote. The young Conde took the same oath. The two princes were associated in the command, under the authority of Coligny, who was immediately appointed lieutenant general of the army. 
For two years their double signature figured at the bottom of the principal official acts of the Reformed Party, and they were called, quote, the Admiral's Pages, end quote. On both of them Jeanne passionately enjoined union between themselves, and equal submission on their part to Coligny, their model and their master in war and in devotion to the common cause. Queen, princes, admiral, and military leaders of all ranks stripped themselves of all the diamonds, jewels, and precious stones which they possessed, and which Elizabeth, the Queen of England, took in pledge for the twenty thousand pounds sterling she lent him. The Queen of Navarre reviewed the army, which received her with bursts of pious and warlike enthusiasm, and leaving to Coligny her two sons, as she called them, she returned alone to La Rochelle, where she received a like reception from the inhabitants, quote, rough and loyal people, says La Noue, and as warlike as mercantile, end quote. After her departure, a body of German horse, commanded by Count Mansfield, joined Coligny in the neighborhood of Limoges. Their arrival was an unhoped-for aid. Coligny distributed amongst them a medal bearing the effigy of Queen Jeanne of Navarre, with this legend, quote, Alone and with the rest for God, the King, the laws, and peace. End quote. With such dispositions on one side and the other, war was resumed and pushed forward eagerly from June 1569 to June 1570, with alternations of reverse and success. On the 23rd of June, 1569, a fight took place at Roche-l'Abeille, near Saint-Eriège, in Limousin, wherein the Protestants had the advantage. The young Catholic noblemen, with Henri de Guise at their head, began it rashly, against the desire of their general, Gaspard de Tavannes, to show off their bravery before the eyes of the Queen Mother and the Cardinal of Lorraine, both of whom considered the operations of the army too slow and its successes too rare they lost five hundred men and many prisoners amongst others philip strozzi whom charles the ninth had just made colonel-general of the infantry they took their revenge on the seventh of september fifteen sixty nine by forcing coligny to raise the siege of poitiers which he had been pushing forward for more than two months and on the third of october following at the battle of montcontour in poitou the most important of the campaign which they won brilliantly and in which the protestant army lost five or six thousand men, and a great part of their baggage. Before the action began, quote, two gentlemen on the side of the Catholics, being in an out-of-the-way spot, came to speech, said Lanoux, with some of the Protestant religion, there being certain ditches between them. Sirs, said they, we bear the marks of enemies, but we do not hate you in any wise, or your party. Warn the admiral to be very careful not to fight, for our army is marvellously strong by reason of reinforcements that have come into it, and it is very determined withal. Let the admiral temporize for a month only, for all the nobles have sworn and said to Monseigneur that they will not wait any longer, that he must employ them within that time, and they will then do their duty. Let the admiral remember that it is dangerous to stem the fury of Frenchmen, the which, however, will suddenly ooze away if they have not victory speedily they will be constrained to make peace and will offer it you on advantageous terms tell him that we know this from a good source and greatly desired to advertise him of it afterwards they retired the others continues lanoux went incontinently to the admiral for to make their report which was to his taste they told it also to others of the principals and some there were who desired that it should be acted upon but the majority opined that this notice came from suspected persons who had been accustomed to practice fraud and deceit and that no account should be made of it End quote. 
The latter opinion prevailed, and the Battle of Montcontour was fought with extreme acrimony, especially on the part of the Catholics, who were irritated by the cruelties, as Lanoux himself says, which the Protestants had but lately practised at the fight of La Roche-l'Abeille. Coligny was wounded in the action, after having killed with his own hand the Marquis Philibert of Baden, and the melee had been so hot that the admiral's friends found great difficulty in extricating him and carrying him off the field to get his wound attended to. Three weeks before the battle, on the 13th of September, Coligny had been sentenced to death by the Parliament of Paris, and hanged in effigy on the Place de Greve, and a reward of fifty thousand gold crowns had been offered to whosoever should give him up to the king's justice, dead or alive, words added, it is said, to the decree at the desire of Charles the Ninth himself. Family sorrows were in Coligny's case added to political reverses. On the 27th of May, in this same year, 1569, he had lost his brother Dandelot, his faithful comrade in his religious as well as his warlike career. Quote, he found himself, says Daubing, saddled with the blame due to accident, his own merits being passed over in silence, with the remnant of an army which when it was whole was in despair even before the late disaster with weak towns dismayed garrisons and foreigners without baggage himself moneyless his enemies very powerful and pitiless towards all especially towards him abandoned by all the great except one woman the queen of navarre who having nothing but the title had advanced to niort in order to lend a hand to the afflicted and to affairs in general this old man worn down by fever endured all these causes of anguish and many others that came back to rack him more painfully than his grievous wound as he was being borne along in a litter l'estrange an old nobleman and one of his principal counsellors travelling in similar fashion and wounded likewise had his own litter where the road was broad moved forward in front of the admiral's and putting his head out at the door he looked steadily at his chief saying with tears in his eyes yet god is very merciful thereupon they bade one another farewell perfectly at one in thought without being able to say more this great captain confessed to his intimates that these few friendly words restored him and set him up again in the way of good thoughts and firm resolutions for the future he was so much restored that between the end of fifteen sixty nine and the middle of fifteen seventy he marched through the south and the centre of france the army which he had reorganized and with which wherever he went he restored, if not security, at any rate confidence and zeal to his party. On arriving at Arnay-le-Duc in Burgundy, he found himself confronted by Marshal de Cosse with thirteen thousand men of the king's troops. Coligny had barely half as many, but he did not hesitate to attack, and on the 13th of June, 1570, he was so near victory that the road was left open before him. On the 7th of July he arrived at Charette-sur-Loire, alarm prevailed at paris a truce for ten days was signed and negotiations were reopened for a fresh attempt at peace Quote, if any one in these lamentable wars worked hard both with body and mind says lanoux it may be said to have been the admiral for as regards the greatest part of the burden of military affairs and hardships it was he who supported them with much constancy and buoyancy and he was as respectful in his bearing towards the princes his superiors as he was modest towards his inferiors he always had piety in singular esteem and a love of justice which made him valued and honoured by them of the party which he had embraced 
He did not seek ambitiously for commands and honors. They were thrust upon him because of his competence and his expertness. When he handled arms and armies, he showed that he was very conversant with them, as much so as any captain of his day, and he always exposed himself courageously to danger. In difficulties he was observed to be full of magnanimity and resource in getting out of them, always showing himself quite free from swagger and parade. In short, he was a personage worthy to re-establish an enfeebled and a corrupted state. I was fain to say these few words about him in passing, for having known him, and been much with him, and having profited by his teaching, I should have been wrong if I had not made truthful and honourable mention of him. End, quote. End of section 39